Well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, please join me now by turning to the book of Psalms, chapter 16. Psalm 16. This morning's message is going to be titled, Glad Hearts in God. Well, before I became full-time at our church, I used to work as a fireman at the Springdale Fire Department, which means I got to work with really heavy and really fun tools for a living. And because I was stationed at a technical rescue station in the city, I had to learn special skill sets, such as rope rescue. Now, rope rescue is a discipline in which any type of emergency response scenario requires the assistance of a rope for the personnel to make the appropriate rescue. Needless to say, these training scenarios were a blast. Well, at the same time, they were at times frightening as well. Picture this scene. Possible scenario that someone working at your local fire department may face. A motor vehicle loses control in the middle of the night and hits the guardrail on a bridge and lands in shallow but swift waters below. And since the rescue workers cannot access the vehicle by way of the bank because of the swift current, they decide to descend from the bridge onto the car to make the rescue. But if you've ever put on a harness for any sort of rope situation, attached yourself to a rope, stood atop of a bridge, turned around backwards, put all your heel, weight onto your heels, and leaned back, then you know the feeling that you have in the pit of your stomach is anything but natural. All of your instincts begin to panic. Like something is not right. We shouldn't be leaning backwards off a bridge. But just as rescue workers have to learn to trust their equipment, so too do Christians have to learn to trust God. But how do we learn to trust God when all of our natural instincts are panicking, especially when we attempt to lean back on Him and it seems to make no sense? Psalm 16 says, I can show you the way. I can teach you how. In fact, I think this psalm communicates to us if we can learn to lean all the weight of our lives back on God, our hearts will be glad. If we can learn to lean all of the weight of our lives back on God, then our hearts will be glad. So now let's turn our attention to what is undoubtedly the best part of this morning's message, and that is the reading of God's holy, infallible, inspired, inerrant word. Psalm 16, 
Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. The drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names with my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. And in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's go to the Lord quickly in prayer to ask for his help to understand and apply his word. Lord, we, we love you and we thank you for Psalm 16. And we ask you, God, that you please open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your word. We need your help. We know that you'll provide it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first point this morning is putting on the harness. Verses 1 and 2. So what's the first step of rope rescue? Well, the first thing one has to do is to put on a harness. Without a harness, there is nothing to hold your weight. Nothing to keep you from falling if you lean all your weight back onto your heels. Well, in a similar way, the Christian has to ask, What is the first thing that I must do in learning to lean all of my weight back on God? Well, the psalmist tells us in these first two verses. Instead of placing the weight of the world on his shoulders, David has learned to roll them off onto God. That's what he means by what he says in verse 1, when he says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Or as another translation says, Protect me, O God, for I take refuge in you. So in other words, this is a prayer right from the outset of the psalm, a prayer of dependence on God that David is making. A prayer making confession that he finds no other place more safe or secure than in God's protection. David has he's given up on being the ultimate protector and provider for his own life. He's given up on being the ultimate protector and provider in the lives of those that he loves. He's found that feeling to be terribly insecure. But when he throws himself wholly onto God, his soul finds peace and 
protection. For in you I take refuge, he says from the outset. This phrase, this little phrase, in you, that David uses in this psalm, is a phrase that is repeated 25 times throughout the book of Psalms. Now that seems like a lot to repeat a little phrase like that, doesn't it? So what in the world does it mean? Well, here's what it means. It means that God was more than a talking point for David. He was more than a theory. (laughs) To David, God was alive and active and positioned himself to be experienced by his people. David didn't simply mean that the idea of a God or the idea of his God, that's what brought him the protection that he sought, but it was actually, it's the person of God that brought David protection. We know that it was personal for David because in verse 2 he says this, I say to the Lord... You are my Lord. Did you catch that? Look at your Bibles. Look at this. I said, I say to the Lord, quote, you are my Lord. That transition between what David communicates in verse 1 to, and to what he says in verse 2 makes all the difference in the world. And here's how I can prove it. An expert can say all day long how a harness can support the weight of a rescue worker. How each strap is designed to hold 10,000 pounds. How the buckles on the harness are manufactured to never fail. But until he puts that harness on, attaches it to a rope, and leans his heels back off the side of a bridge... He doesn't know anything experientially. He only knows it by hearsay. He only knows it by theory. He only knows it by thought. Similarly, a person can know that God offers them protection and that God wants them to trust Him in every season and situation in their life while at the same time never actually leaning on him, never actually placing their confidence entirely in him. Christianity, my friends, is not simply a faith that says stand back and behold, but it is also a faith that says draw near and experience. Come near and experience. So friend, here's the first pressing question from this morning's message. Can you, like David, say that the Lord is my Lord? Can you say that the Lord is my Lord? Well, if the answer is that is yes, then you will confess alongside David in verse 2, I have no other good apart from you. 
You see what he's saying here, friends? I have no other good apart from you. Well, David is testifying to the fact that only God is always good and everything God does is always good. David sees God as a place of refuge and protection. But, but friends, unless we totally are convinced that God is good, then we won't flee to Him for safety. If we have any suspicion of His character, if we have any suspicion of His goodness, if we are calling into question His goodness, then we won't seek Him as a refuge, as a place of protection. We might believe it in our minds. Yeah, he is what he's, he, he is what he says he is. He is good. He, everything he does is good. But when it comes down to the moment that we need protection, we won't flee to him. We won't fly to him for protection and safety. We'll try to look to ourselves. We'll try to look to something in our lives to find what we need, to find the protection, to find the security that we think that we need but not David. David leaned all of the weight of his life back onto God. Friend, can you say, as David has said here, that you have no other good apart, apart from God? Well, at least to our second point this morning, choosing your instructors wisely. Verses 3 and 4. Imagine going to a climbing gym because you have this new desire and idea to take up climbing lessons only to find the instructor has no idea what he's doing. Not only does he not know what he's doing, he has no idea how to put on a harness. He has no idea how to clip you in. He has no idea how rappelling works, but he doesn't care. He's offering you instruction with the same confidence as if he did know. He tells you to trust him and lean back. <laughs> well, if you, if you went through with the rest of that, that instruction, that'd be crazy, right? You'd be out of your mind. But listen, friends, we do the same thing when we listen to what the world says. It'll bring us ultimate satisfaction and joy and comfort and protection and safety insecurity. We're doing the exact same thing when we listen to the world. So David tells us here in verses 3 and 4 that who we listen to will affect where we place our trust. In these two verses, he has two groups of people. The first is in verse 3, the saints, which is a reference to Christians, which is a reference to God's people. And then verse 4, the second group is the world, which, is a, which means anyone who does not trust in Jesus alone for salvation. So what does he say about the first group of people, about the Christians? <laughs> he says, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Now, David is not saying here that God's people are his source of ultimate joy and hope and satisfaction. But he does call them his delight. 
As for the saints in the land, they are the ones in whom is all my delight. And why? Why does David say this about God's people? Well, the reason is quite simple. The reason is because God's people possess the unique ability to encourage one another towards further Christ-likeness. God's people possess the unique ability to encourage one another towards further Christ-likeness. Yes, we can hurt one another as God's people. Yes, we can sin against one another. But God's people will always be the only exclusive group of people that can spur God's people, His people, onto further Christ-likeness. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 3.16 when he says this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. It is the joy and the privilege of the local church to encourage and edify one another in the faith. But the world is not seeking to encourage our walk with Jesus. The world is not aiming to spur us on to Christ's likeness. The world is seeking to distract God's people from setting their eyes on Jesus. So instead of placing our confidence in the world, taking our spiritual instruction from the world, finding our source of joy and encouragement and hope and satisfaction in the world. David says in verse 4 that he has learned, he's given his insight, given us the secret, the sorrow of those who run after another God shall multiply. And I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, and I will not speak their name with my lips. Well, I think the striking contrast between these two groups, groups of people are found in two words that he uses. Delight in God's people and sorrow in the world. The sorrow of those who run after other gods shall multiply. As for the saints in the land, they are the ones in whom is all my delight. Now, David lived in a day and in a culture in which people had carved images of other deities. And they would worship those other deities by offering blood sacrifices. Now, of course, our culture is so far removed from anything like that that it requires us watching a movie to get a picture of what it must have been like. But regardless of the date and the culture, our hearts have not changed over the years. Our hearts are the same as what the hearts were like of the people in David's day. And there are just as many false gods in our day as were in his day. A false god is an, is an idol, which is anything that we allow to take the place of worship that God alone deserves. David refuses to entertain a single idol. He won't talk about these idols and he refuses to take counsel on matters pertaining to godliness from idols. 
point is, is that though the world is the Christian's mission field, though it is our temporary dwelling, it is not the Christian's refuge. The world cannot be our refuge. The world cannot be our place of permanent protection. We don't, we don't seek permanent safety and security in the shaky counsel that the world provides on things pertaining to joy and satisfaction and hope and Christ-likeness and purity. We must confidently lean back on God alone for all of these things. At least to our third point this morning Knowing where your rope is anchored, verses 5 to 8. Now imagine somebody's ready to go rappelling, which is descending from a rope from a higher elevation, and they're seeking to find an anchor point, and they pick, they choose a lawn chair. They anchor their rope to a lawn chair and descend backwards off the mountain. Things are not going to go well for that person. (laughs) If you're anchored to a lawn chair, that bad boy's coming down on your head. So David tells us here to make sure that we have chosen a solid anchor to lean back the weight of our lives upon. And in verse 5, he tells us about his anchor. He says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. The translation that I memorized this chapter in 10 years ago says, and my cup of blessing. The Lord is my portion and my cup of blessing. David's telling us how he has anchored himself upon the trustworthy person of God alone. In verses 5 and 6, he uses four words that communicate his confidence in God. He says, God is his portion. God is his lot. Lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. So what does this mean for our lives? Well, it means that instead of anchoring our hope, our satisfaction, our joy, our protection our security, to the circumstances in this life, we must anchor our lives to God alone, to the Lord alone. We have to learn to say alongside David that God is my chosen portion. Come come what may in my life, God is all that I need. God controls everything. David is so confident in God and his sovereign power in his life that he says in verse 6, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Now this sentence is likely a reference to the 12 tribes in Israel and how each of the tribes received a particular and specific inheritance as a result of their birthright. But perhaps there is special attention being given in these verses to the Levites, whose only inheritance in life was the Lord. Whereas the the other 11 tribes could expect to receive an inheritance of land, of possessions, 
of finances, the Levites had one expected inheritance that was passed down throughout the generations of their heritage. And it was the special possession of knowing and treasuring the Lord. The question I ask myself in light of this text is, if all I had were Christ, would I trust that I had all that I needed? That's the kind of confidence in God that I want to have in my life. What about you, friend? What about you? If all you had were Christ, if all you had were the assurance of your salvation, all you had was the gospel, the fact that God had sent and sacrificed his son on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins, had given you the person of the Holy Spirit to indwell you, to seal you, had promised you eternal life. If that's all you had, would that be enough? Well, David goes on to say in verses 7 and 8 that not only does he lean all of his life's weight back on God, but he's also intentional to thank God for his counsel and his instruction in his life. He says this in verse 7, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also he instructs me. Now what does it mean for God to give us counsel and instruction? I just love how personal God is to David. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night also. So what does this mean? How do we, how can we expect to receive counsel and instruction from the Lord? Well, for the New Testament Christian, for the New Testament people of God, for the New Covenant people of God, for that, those of us on this side of the cross, it should remind us of the person of the Holy Spirit who permanently indwells the believer from the moment that they confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. They bow their knee in repentance and faith that Christ is their Lord. And they have no other good apart from Him. In that moment, they are sealed. We are sealed with the promised presence of the Spirit. And a staggering thought that we should never grow tired of hearing as Christians is that because we have the indwelling person and presence of the Spirit in our lives, we will never be alone. Ever be alone. The Bible tells us that we have the Spirit as a seal on our lives who will convict us, who will lead us, and who will teach us how to follow Jesus, who will correct us at the core level who will correct us from the core. I think this fact is stunning. Just yesterday morning, I felt the Spirit doing this in my own life. I was reminded of the Spirit's counsel and instruction in my life. I woke up quite anxious about trying to finish this message 
on Psalm 16. I felt I had a mountain to climb on Saturday and not the energy to do it. When all of a sudden, as quick as I had that anxious thought, I had another quick and penetrating thought that, that seared into my mind and into my heart places that I can't reach. It was this. Psalm 19, it was almost like that. Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. And not once does it mention that they are ever anxious about their message. Not once are the mountains anxious about what they're going to say about God. Not once are the skies above anxious about the greatness of God that they are called and commissioned to proclaim. Therefore, why are you? Oh, searing, inspiring counsel and instruction from the Spirit. So I thank God for the Spirit's counsel and His instruction in my life. I thank God that He doesn't say, Matt, here's a job. Do it on your own. Here's a job. Exposit Psalm 16 though you feel like it's an impossible task and do it on your own. No, He says, I'll help you. I'm with you. I'll give you counsel. I'll give you instruction because I permanently indwell you with the person in the presence of the Spirit. Amazing, amazing, amazing fact for the Christian that I hope we never grow tired of hearing and thinking about. And notice with me the confidence that David has in God as he says in verse 8. He says, I have set the Lord always before me. Listen, because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Oh, man, David's figured something out, hasn't he? Because I feel shaken in life. Circumstances rattle me. Do they rattle you sometimes? David's saying, come here then. The answer is yes, come here. I have a secret. I have something to tell you. I have some instruction for you. So what does it mean to set the Lord before me? What does that mean? It sounds amazing, but what in the world does that mean? Well, sometimes a person will say in their life that they set the needs of work above the needs of their family. So it means, setting the Lord before me means placing a greater value on God and His instruction than anything else in this world. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew 6.33 when he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. <laughs> well, what's the result of having a strong confidence in God? Of setting the Lord before me, creating a greater value, a greater emphasis upon the Lord in our life, having Him as our governor in life, as our instructor. Well, here's the result. David says in verse 8, Because He's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. How about that for anchoring to a strong place? 
David has not anchored himself to a lawn chair. He's anchored himself to a strong and mighty tower. A firm fixture that shall never be moved. It's not that David has reached this climactic moment of of great strength in his life. He has only found the source of strength. He's anchored himself to it. He's clipped the carabiner of his life into a firm fixture of strong strength, and that is Christ. And because he is never moved, because he's firmly fixed at the right hand of God, where he is right now interceding for the saints, preparing a place for us, because he's there, resurrected from the dead, unable to be affected by what totally shakes and affects us in our life, because he's there, he, he's never shaken. And if we can learn to clip into him every day, every moment, and lean our lives upon that strong and steady anchor, that's how we get to a place we say, where we say, I'll never be shaken. I'll never be shaken. <laughs> if you hitch yourself to a shaky fixture, you're going to be shaken. You're going to find that thing falls back on you. It's a false god. It's an idol. You clip into him, he'll never be moved. His promises stay permanent. That's what it means to clip into him, right? It means to place your faith in the promises of God revealed in Scripture. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Clip into that. (laughs) I'll give you another helper. I feel like I need help in life. Clip into that. I'll be with you always to the end of the age. You clip into that. All your sins are forgiven. You clip in. You see? You're latching yourself to these firm promises of God. Well, that leads to our fourth and final point point this morning. I hope you're prepared for it. It's the moment that we've all been waiting for in Psalm 16, and here it is. Enjoy the ride. (laughs) 9 through 11. Listen, now that we've learned how to put the harness on, and we've learned who to receive instruction from, and we've learned to anchor our hope and confidence and security to the right place, we can enjoy the ride of life. Listen, you think I'm making that up? Oh, that sounds exciting, Matt, but where do you find that in? Well, look with me, right right here, verse 9. Therefore, David says, my heart is glad. My heart is glad, and my whole being (laughs) rejoices. For my flesh dwells secure. I have always loved how David talks about his relationship with the Lord. It is alive. It's vibrant. It's real. It's interactive. It's firm. In fact, the way that David has, the way that David talks about his relationship with the Lord has always compelled me to pursue something of a semblance of a similar relationship with the Lord. His relationship with the Lord, (laughs) listen, makes his heart glad and his 
his whole being rejoiced. That's, that's how his relationship with the Lord affects his life. But what does he mean when he says, my flesh dwells secure? It's kind of a strange phrase, right? Well, I think he helps us understand what he means in verse 10 when he says, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Now, Sheol is a reference in the Old Testament to a place after death where a person experiences separation from the gracious presence of God. Sheol is a place referred to in the Old Testament after death where a person experiences separation from the, from the presence of God, from the gracious presence of God. David, therefore, is saying that God would never allow that to happen to him. He would never allow, never allow that to happen to him. He won't leave him in the grave. He won't forget David after death. And this should be a staggering thought to us. If David could have that kind of rock-solid confidence that God would not forget about him after death, how much more confidence should we have on this side of the resurrection of our Lord from the dead? David's looking forward into faith and to something that he didn't yet know but believed. We're looking back on the proven fact and reality that God does indeed have the power to raise his people from the dead. He did that with Jesus. You raised him up from the dead. He didn't leave him there. You served me well, son, but I don't have power. I wish you wouldn't have died. I don't have power to resurrect you from the grave, so you're going to have to stay there in Sheol, this place of separation. No, I have power to raise you up from the dead. Nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's how Paul says it in Romans 8, right? He's, he's reading Psalm 16. He's coming to this cli climactic conclusion of celebration. No, nothing will ever separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amazing. The triumphant resurrection of Jesus Christ from the, from the grave should give you, should give me glad and rejoicing hearts in God every single day. It's a proven fact because he raised him from the dead. That our sins that we're going to go to the grave with won't define us. They won't be what he brings up when we stand before him face to face. No, we're, we're in Christ. We're in him. That little phrase that David used in verses 1 and 2. No, in him. That's where we are. That's where we are. Amazing. And in this final verse, David summarizes the entire chapter for us quite powerfully. He says this. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. I mean, does this sound like Philippians at all? We're talking about joy outside of the book of... You mean that there's a Christian message of joy outside of the book of Philippians? Yeah, the whole Bible is about how to be joyful in Jesus. 
I got distracted. You make known me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In this last verse alone, there are three life-anchoring statements of God that we should clip our lives into. The first is that God alone is the one who makes known to us the path of life. And we might say, is himself life. It's not just simply that he makes known to us the path of life, but he is life. Remember what Jesus says in John 14? He says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The second is that the fullness of joy that our hearts crave to experience as humans can only be found through a vibrant relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, is that David confidently believed that his joyful relationship with the Lord would not stop at the grave, but it would, he would, it would go on forevermore. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Eternity will be about experiencing God, Father, Son, and Spirit without the presence of sin that eclipses the joy in God that we were designed to experience in our lives. That's gone. All it is is full joy, radiant pleasure with God forevermore for eternity. That's really amazing and exciting. So friend... Have you learned to lean all of your life's weight back on God alone? Do you lean back and trust yourself entirely to His care and His care alone? Well, may God use Psalm 16 to increase our confidence in God's trustworthy and unfailing care for each and every one of us this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we close. Lord, we thank you so much for Psalm 16. What a remarkable refuge Psalm 16 has been for me for a decade. Lord, to think about you in such personal terms as David did is, is so compelling and so inspiring. God, we, I want to ask on behalf of everyone here that you would help us to believe that as personal and close as you were to David, that you, you offer yourself to be that way with us as well. That as confident as David was in you, you offer that same kind of confidence for us. But God, we are weak. In faith. So I ask God that you would give us, impart to us the, uh, the gift of faith to believe that this is real, that this is true, that we can really bank and anchor our lives and lean back the weight of our lives onto you and you alone. Please, 
Use this to change and affect our lives. Let us pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.